0: Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 34, till we come to the end of the chapter, it says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, and they brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made Perfectly well. In this chapter, we've witnessed the martyrdom of John and the miracles of Jesus. Jesus has fed the multitudes in verses 13 through 21. And those who are sick are restored to wholeness. Jesus has walked on the water in verses 22 through 33 and delivered in the storm. And now on the northern and then the southwestern shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus will once again come and heal the sick in verses 34 through 36. And again, one of the strange ironies of Matthew's gospel is this reoccurring theme. Not just the theme of compassion and healing, but the theme of the failure of certain people to recognize Jesus and then also the recognition of Jesus. And the irony, of course, is for those who should have recognized him and they didn't. We think of King Herod, the so-called king of the Jews. He fails to recognize Jesus And then we see the poor and the condemned and the crushed who accept him. The religious leaders who should have been able to recognize who he is and was. And they fail to recognize him. In this passage, the people of Gennesaret have an almost childlike faith and confidence in Jesus' ability to heal. They believe that Jesus can do anything and help anyone and heal everyone. everyone. But will they follow him when things become terribly hard? Will they follow him when the tide turns and The recognition turns to rejection, like the song that we sing, on the road marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering. Is that going to be the time that you will continue to follow close when the religious leaders threaten him and the ruling authorities execute him? Healing and forgiveness become regular themes in the New Testament. And for good reason, because sickness has plagued people in the past and it continues continues to plague people in the present. But are you a fair-weather friend to Jesus? Do you follow him only in prosperity? Do you retreat from him in adversity? In this chapter, we learn that the disciples of Jesus faced persecution in verses 1 through 12. Also, a supernatural provision in verses 13 through 21. And amazing protections in verses 22 through 34. And once again, we're reminded that that Jesus again is filled with compassion and filled with power. And he will come to those who reach out to him in simple faith in verses 34 through 36. So we begin with touching the shore. Look what it says in verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Or in Hebrew, genetzeret. The Lord Jesus, remember, safely delivered the apostles from the storm. Remember, they were out on the boat, out on the lake. The storm had been beating down. Jesus shows up walking on the water. And the moment that he enters the boat, it arrives safely on the other shore on firm ground. And then reality sets in. Gennesaret was a heavily populated area on the north and the west shore of the Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was also called, in ancient times, the Sea of Tiberias, but it was also called the Sea of Gennesaret, and that's what it's called in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. The historian Josephus claims that this region was famous for delicious walnuts and palms and figs, and olives, and grapes. Some of you may have grown up in an area of, of, of the part of the country that yields wheat or or crops, and this was a an especially fertile area. Modern scholarship places this as Noth-Ginotsar, which was about three miles south and then west of Capernaum. And in the Old Testament, they used a name that was similar to the for this place called Kinneroth, Kinerot. Kinneroth, or Kinneroth, is the Hebrew word for harp. And it's interesting if you were able to have a bird's eye view of the Sea of Galilee. Or if you have a map in the back of your Bible. You'll notice that it's in the shape of a harp. The lake formed the eastern border of the promised land. And again, there's a city on the western edge called Kinneroth, and it it belonged to the, the tribe of Naphtali, according to Joshua chapter 19, verse 35. So the land was fruitful, and it had its share of people who were still hurt and injured and in need, but it kind of reminds us of our own society. We live in a culture and in a society where there's unprecedented prosperity. There's unprecedented fruitfulness. There's unprecedented material provision. But there's also an increasing faithlessness. We're living in a world that's deeply divided. The population continues to grow here in the front range of Colorado, but we have our share of those who are spiritually blind and deaf and those who even in the midst of so much plenty are suffering pain and difficulty and sometimes even injustice. Their souls are withered shrunken by a constant barrage of difficulty. And so they're going to come to Jesus. Look what it says in verse 35, touching the Savior. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all of that surrounding region and they brought to him all who were sick. Remember the traumatizing events that have already taken place. Remember, Jesus and his disciples have left the area because of the murder of John the Baptist, all the way to the southern part of the region near the the Dead Sea and and the, the citadel, if you will, of Herod. John is dead. There's been a fierce storm. And I suspect that Jesus and his disciples are looking for a place where they can still find a little retreat and a little rest. But just like in real life, sometimes the demands and the pressures of life show up. We live in a broken world with broken people looking for answers to life's problems. And like I said, even though we live in an age of unprecedented prosperity and miraculous technology, adversity and tragedy are still with us. And Jesus is a recognizable celebrity. Every once in a while, I'll get recognized out there. I was at a restaurant with my wife and a person came up to me and said, Gino Geraci, I don't ever see you in public. You know what I feel like? I feel like it's, we're in the sixth grade again and I'm your sixth grade teacher. Do you remember when you would see your teacher out and about and you go, you mean they have a real life? You mean they buy groceries and have a real life? But, but Jesus is a true recognizable celebrity. And with recognition, there was a prompting of many to want relief. Mark's gospel adds that when Jesus arrived, the the people, it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 55, ran through the whole surrounding region. And they began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard that he was in Mark chapter 6 verse 56 it says wherever he entered into the village wherever he went into the city or into the country they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might just that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made well unquote in other words Jesus comes and when Jesus shows up whether in private or even in public people begin to swarm him Again, even in our text at the end of verse 35, where it says the phrase, all who were sick, it translates an interesting idiom. In the Greek language, it says, kakos, ekontas. You may not know what that means, but in the original language, it literally translates having badly. What in the world does that mean? Having badly. It, 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 it was a word that meant who were in a bad way or who weren't well off. We use it idiomatically in our own culture and society. When we, whenever you point to a person and you say, they're in a bad way. This person is in a bad way. Again, we're living in a world where so many people are in a bad way. They're in a bad way mentally and spiritually and emotionally. They're in a bad way in their marriage. They're in a bad way on the job. They're in a bad way because they have to deal with constant prejudice and constant injustice. We're, 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 we're living in a world where, where people are hurting people for what seems like such unbelievable reasons. And so again in the text, it's sometimes translated, so they brought to him all who were ill in the New American Standard. They brought to him all who were sick in our version, in the, in, in, the, in the New King James, they brought their sick in the NIV. The reason why this becomes such an important thing is they're bringing them to Jesus. They're bringing them to Jesus. So it begs a question, it prompts a, a question, where do we go? Where do we go to look for relief? Where do we go in order to get help? Where do we go when we're sick in our heart and we're sick in our head and we're sick in our culture and we're sick with all kinds of things that are plaguing us because we're in a bad way? Where do we bring our sick? Where lies the power to heal? Where can people go when they're in so much trouble? And again, we live in a miraculous age. We are the beneficiaries of evidence-based medicine and unprecedented technology, but even with all of our breakthroughs in identifying and, and treating illness, we still get sick. We thank God for doctors and health specialists, but a growing list of people around the world, they look for solutions to their problems somewhere other than Jesus. People will go to alternative medicine. By alternative medicine, what I mean by that is something other than fact-based medicine. There's biofeedback, there's kinesiology, there's acupuncture, there's guided imagery, there's bioenergetics, there's reflexology, there's stress management, gestalt therapy, therapeutic touch, homeopathy, naturopathy, macrobiotics, and that's just the short list. And some people do find some temporary relief. But discerning people, discerning people soon discover that actual healing, and by healing I mean a restoration to wholeness and wellness is usually going to come from some other source. We can remove obstacles to healing, but there's something inside of us there's something inside of us that knows that real healing finds its origin and source in the Lord. That real healing finds its place in the Lord Jesus. In a Christian worldview, we believe that the cause of sickness is sin, and we still believe that the solution to the problem of sin is a Savior. And so what better place to find healing than to bring people to Jesus? And by the way, I need to point out just a couple of things to you. Bringing people in faith to Jesus pleases God. Did you know that? bringing people in faith to Jesus pleases God. Don't be afraid to bring your husband or your wife to Jesus. Don't be afraid to bring your children to Jesus. Don't be afraid to bring your grandchildren to Jesus. Don't be afraid to bring your co-workers to Jesus. And they may balk and they may bark and they may even try to bite you. But bring them to Jesus. And again, is there application for us? Can we still bring our sick to Jesus? Can we bring the problems that we're experiencing on the job to Jesus? Can we bring our physical and emotional difficulties to Jesus? Can we bring our marriage and our depression to Jesus? Can we bring our lives and our heartache to Jesus? And again, it requires in part recognition. That's one of the reasons why they brought them to Jesus. Because there were a group of people who recognized Jesus. And they recognized that Jesus was a source of healing and wholeness and wellness. And so they were willing to bring people to Jesus by faith. The Bible tells us that spiritual gifts include the gift of faith. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit, unquote. All believers, the Bible says, have a certain measure of faith. It's a gift from God. In Romans chapter 12, verse three, it says, for I say, through the grace that's been given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, God has given each and every individual a measure whereby they can ask and answer the question, "Do I really, really, really believe that I can bring my problem to Jesus, that I can bring the people that I love to Jesus? The gift of, of faith is the special ability. To trust God beyond the limits of what most people consider impossible. Again, the gift of faith is the special ability to trust God beyond the limits of what most people consider impossible. And some of you look out into this great big thing that we call our world and we see the divide so stark and so profound and we think that there can never be unity. There can never be a bridge where two different people can come in the middle and experience some sort of grace and some sort of mercy and some sort of love. But the truth is that's what faith can do. It can make you willing to go where you wouldn't normally go. Every believer must have faith, but not every believer is given what I would call the supernatural ability to trust God beyond the limit. But every once in a while, God will stir up something in your heart And you'll pray for your son, you'll pray for your daughter, you'll pray for your circumstance, you'll and you'll begin to understand that God is at work. George Mueller loved disadvantaged children. He committed his life to Jesus and he began to educate and house and feed children in a culture where there was no place for them to go and by exercising faith, he was able to raise money time and time again. And that might not come as a shock to you, but let me tell you what is shocking. He never appealed to anyone for help. It's one thing to need help and appeal for help, but he had the supernatural gift. In an orphanage one morning, by faith, he simply brought what little food that they had out to the table, and they had no milk for the children at all. And George Mueller began to pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome, abundant provision that you've made for us. Thank you, Lord, for the food which we're about to eat. And just outside the door, they hear a knock. A milk truck just broke down right in front of the orphanage. And the man came in and he says, you know what? All of this milk is going to spoil. And you might as well take it because there's just no way I'm going to get the carriage fixed in time. And you might think, that never happens to me. But I'm going to suggest to you that it could happen. William Carey said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. If you attempt great things, you can expect great things. Bringing people to Jesus pleases God. God. It's one thing to bring people to Jesus, but it's another thing to believe that Jesus is able to do something once you bring them to Jesus. And that's part of the point of this passage. It's believing the truth that if you in fact bring people to Jesus, that he's able to change their life. Can we, with confidence and faith, come to Jesus for healing today? And I think that the answer is yes. Is there healing for our sick bodies as well as our sick souls? And I think that the answer is yes. And many of you can testify to the healing power of God. If we took the time and we just went around the room and I said, tell me what Jesus has done for you. And person after person could stand up and say, this is what Jesus did on the job. This is what he did in my heart. This is what he did in my marriage. This is what he did for me. Many of you can testify to the healing healing power of Jesus. You were diagnosed with an illness that many said was untreatable. And God healed you. We can come to Jesus for healing in our marriage. We can come to Jesus for healing in our souls. We can come to Jesus for financial difficulties, for jobs, relationships. And most of all, we can come to Jesus for what matters most. And you might think, well, all of the things that you just talked about, that's what matters most to me. But oddly enough, that's not what matters most to God. What matters most to God is the condition of your soul. It's the condition of your heart. It's the presence of sin. It's the absence of hope. He wants to change your life. And so look what it says in verse 36. And they begged him, they begged him, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. This is interesting. The word translated hem or edge is the Greek word kraspedon. It's that In Matthew 9.20, in Mark 6.56, in Luke 8.44, in Matthew 23, verse 5, it clearly means tassel. It may mean the edge of the cloak or the fringe of the cloak as it's translated in the New American Standard. But almost every scholar believes that Jewish rabbis wore a bright blue border around the hem of their garment. In that culture, it was like a priest's collar or a nun's habit. This was the religious uniform of a Jewish rabbi. When I first started off in ministry, I served as a chaplain for the city of Chino Police Department. And in the city of Chino, they said, okay, chaplain, you're going to have to wear a priest's collar. I go, but I'm not Roman Catholic. And they go, we know that you're not Roman Catholic, but here the gangs they think it's, it's bad luck to kill a priest. <laughs> See, you laugh. You know, it's not such bad luck to kill anybody else, but it's just bad luck to kill a priest. So they said, hey, you know what? We're not above using people's fear and superstition to keep people safe. In this culture and society... Certain religious Jews, observant Jews, wore this garb. The tradition comes from Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, where in the Old Testament we read, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of their corners. And so there was a border for some, it would have been a very thin border. For others, it would have been a larger border. And so each rabbi's wool robe had a border of blue with four heavy wool tassels on the borders of the garment. And again, you have to understand what this was and what it meant. The intention was to remind the wearer of the law of God. And in the scripture, blue is often a picture of the things of heaven, even things divine. Even today, you'll often see Jewish people with prayer shawls that are white and blue. The flag of Israel has a blue star of David, The color blue was to serve as a reminder that they were a heavenly people unique in God's plan and that heaven was their home and that God was preparing to take them to the heavenly city whose builder and and home and, and maker is God. And so in this simple act of faith, Faith all they would do is they would touch the hem of the garment, but what you might be missing is, again, the, the reality, it was an invitation to look up. It was an invitation to look up. and on the last few days, you'll notice that we've had bright blue skies. And every once in a while, it's a good idea for you to lift your chin and lift your eyes. And look to heaven and imagine the bright blue sky that you're looking at as the hem of his garment. It is that tiny thread because attached to that tiny thread is an omnipotent being who you can cry out to for help. And so, how could such simple faith generates such powerful results because the point of the passage isn't the extraordinary faith of the people who touch the hem of Jesus's garment the point of the passage is the extraordinary power and compassion of the Lord Jesus they've already come to grips with he has supernatural compassion and power they've probably already heard the story about the woman who for many years had an issue of blood and as they were jostling in the crowd, remember, she just simply lays hold of the touch of his garment. And you'll remember Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Who touched me? And so now they weren't even interested at all and in, in just, they want to touch him. It's interesting to me. When Jesus fed the multitudes, all they had to do was open their mouth. If you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet like Great Wall or some other kind of buffet that's somewhere here in town and you see 60 different food items on the salad bar and you see all kinds of different food items that are everywhere to be found and you realize, can you imagine if you said to them, hey, can I have something from that or can I have something from that? And they go, it's a buffet. It's, you can eat whatever you want as often as you want, period. Period. All you have to do is put it on your plate and then put it in your mouth. Jesus has done exactly that with the multitudes. And now those who come to Jesus in faith receive healing. Is it possible that some come to Jesus only for the food and only for the healing? I'm going to suggest to you that that is possible. And what's remarkable Is Jesus doesn't do what I would do. I won't speak for you. Sometimes we might get bitter and angry towards people who want food or who want healing, and they don't seem to want the Savior who provides the food, and they don't want the God who provides the healing, but there doesn't seem to be that kind of anger on Jesus's part. He's full of compassion. He's full of grace. He's still full of power. Because they didn't ask for spiritual help, he didn't refuse them physical help. And in spite of their superficiality and ingratitude and self-centeredness, he mercifully heals them in order to reveal the compassionate heart of of God, according to John MacArthur. And, And I think that that's right. Is compassion and power Sufficient reason to help someone. I think so. By the way, has anyone ever condemned you? Because you decided that you were going to help someone? And one of your family members said, what's in it for you? And you said, there's nothing in it for me. There's absolutely no way that this person's going to be able to repay me. There's no way they're going to be able to reciprocate whatsoever. It's not a sin to demonstrate the love of God and the compassion of God to people, even if they're unappreciative, even if they remain unchanged. But Jesus is interested in providing something more than a full belly. And a whole body. Jesus wants to forgive sin. Jesus wants to provide eternal life. Jesus wants to offer himself as the bread that came down from heaven. And for a brief moment, just for a brief moment, for a brief moment in that area, at that time, there's no talk of affordable health care. Because they don't need it. They have a person that in his world, everyone who comes to him are healed. Now, so, so again, can Jesus touch people today? Can Jesus heal people today? Let's ask that question a little bit differently. Do you believe that Jesus retains compassion and power right now? And if the answer is yes, then you know the answer to that question. If he loves you now, has compassion for you now, and power now, then you know the answer. The people come to Jesus in simple faith, and why not? The motive of Jesus is compassion, his manner, calm, his method, cooperation. And even when we know that Jesus is full of compassion and calm and power and provision, we still don't come to him. And I think that that's part of the challenge of the text itself, too. Does Jesus care about you? Of course he does. Does he care about your marriage? Of course he does. Does he care about your family? Of course he does. The greater question is contained right here in the text. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. The issue for them wasn't in Jesus' ability to heal. But in their willingness to come to him for that healing The attention doesn't lie in the person being healed. The the attention lies in the Savior who's being touched. He's not a magical talisman, he's not a lucky charm. This isn't just, I'm going to touch Jesus in the hopes that things might be better. He's a real person. In the Old Testament, over and over again, the Lord invites his people to believe that he's the healer of his people. In Exodus fifteen twenty-six, it says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In Exodus 23, 25, it says, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, it says... That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them, unquote for the person who ridiculously assumes that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different from the God of the New Testament, I'm here to tell you, he's always been full of compassion. He's always been full of power. Norwegian theologian, Oli Hallisbe, prayed this wonderful prayer. He said, quote, Lord, if it will be your glory, heal Suddenly, if it will glorify you more, heal gradually. If it will glorify you even more, may your servant remain sick a while. And if it will glorify your name still even more, take himself to yourself in heaven. That's a marvelous prayer. Healing can bring physical relief and spiritual blessing. But healing can also be glorifying to God. And we can and should pray for both kinds of healing. For physical as well as spiritual. In moments of failure, in times of sin and temptation, we can go to the source of relief and release. So what keeps you? What keeps you? From coming to Jesus. What is it that's keeping you? Is it the opinions of men? Is it the sense of your own guilt? Is it the accusation of your conscience? Is it the belief? Is it the belief that you've drained God of every last drop of compassion? That he's fed up with you. And he can't. He's sick of hearing from you. John Corson writes, quote, I encourage you to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ and be reminded of eternity. There's healing when you realize I might suffer for a few weeks or for a few months or for a few years or for a few decades. I'm going to heaven and when I see him I shall be like him unquote that's what will happen if you look up into the sky you see the bright blue border that encircles this planet and you realize the God who made this planet and who made you he loves you The outward person is perishing and the inward person can be renewed day by day. And what can't be cured has to be endured. In the last few days, my friend and colleague Bill Armstrong went home to be with the Lord. He was an amazing man with a remarkable career both in business and in service to his country. He served as United States Senator twice. Much of his life... Was spent bringing people to Jesus. But Bill Armstrong was never, ever content to simply bring people to Jesus. Bill believed that once he brought people to Jesus, that Jesus could actually change their lives. He would create an atmosphere. He wouldn't just simply say, Go to church. He even wouldn't just simply say, Open up your Bible. He would take people by the hand and he would invite them to come into the presence of God and into the very presence of Jesus because he knew that Jesus could change their life. On precious occasions, he and I would touch the hem of Jesus' garment together and we would see into the future, to heaven and eternity. He lost his battle with cancer. Years ago, Dan Richardson also lost his battle with cancer, and this was printed at his celebration service. It said, quote, cancer is so limited, it can't cripple love. It can't shatter hope. It can't corrode faith. It can't eat away peace. It can't destroy confidence. It can't kill friendship. It can't shut out memories. It can't silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. It cannot lessen the power of the resurrection. Both Bill Armstrong. And Dan Richardson would have happily sung, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me. And he made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleaned and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout While eternity rolls, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know that he touched me. And he made me whole. He can make you whole. The emptiness inside of you. The darkness that overwhelms you. The pain and the guilt that seems to haunt you. He can touch you. But I'm going to invite you to touch him. To look at that bright blue seam. So that even if you can't see his face... Even if you can't see him now. You can see him. And you can touch him. And you can allow him to touch you. So I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every individual within the sound of my voice. By whatever thing they're plagued with doubt darkness depression disease disaster that lord that they could bring it to you lord in this worship service and in this time of opening up your word we have longed for your presence And so, Heavenly Father, even now, we pray that we could bring the people that we love to you. We can bring our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our children, our friends to Jesus. We can bring them to Jesus. And, Heavenly Father, I pray that for the person who's brought themselves, Lord, I pray that mentally and emotionally and spiritually they would get up inside of their heart And that they would go to Jesus and that they would reach out to Jesus and that they would ask Jesus to touch him, to heal him, whether it's physical healing or whether it's that hard, bitter, angry heart that seems always upset. Lord, I pray that we could bring that too that you would touch and break our pride, that you would touch and eliminate our sin, that you would touch and take that gnarled, physical handicap, the ulcerated circumstances of our life, and that you would restore us to wholeness and wellness. And for the person who's never known you, never, never known you, Lord I pray that they would bring their heart and they would bring their sin and that they would offer themselves and their sin to you for forgiveness. Lord I pray that by your holy spirit that they would come to believe that Jesus really loves them and that he died for them and that the cross of Calvary can cleanse the heart and make a promise that only Jesus can keep. That even though we only see the bright blue border, we know that that border is an invitation to live in heaven forever with you. And so Lord, I pray for each and every person. Lord, I pray that that they would pray that prayer that is unique and specific to their own need. But I also pray, Lord, for that person who needs a new heart pray that they would confess their sin and that they would say a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, you know my heart. You know my sinful circumstances. You know my need for a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would bring wholeness and wellness, forgiveness to my heart and hope to my future as I love you and trust you with my life because I want the sin to go away and I want the promise and power comes with having a changed life in Jesus name amen